0: While we were there, uh, Angela, when she found out uh, we were uh, going there, she began to send out messages to all of her high school friends that were now living in Lima, uh, that were living in the area, as well as some uh, half-brothers of hers, and just began to invite a whole lot of people uh, to come to that church service where I would be preaching the gospel. And as it would uh, be, uh, none of them showed up to the service. But they all. But three of them showed up after the service was over to the to the fellowship, to the fun, to the food, and uh, they all showed up late. Her half brother showed up, and two of her friends showed up. One of those friends she had gone from kindergarten all the way through twelfth grade. I believe that's um, uh, Ursula. I want to say it with the right accent there. And then Alicia. Uh, I don't know which way it was, but Alicia had gone with her from first grade through 12th grade and uh uh Ursula has become a dentist and a very good dentist. They're one of the top dentists in the area. Uh and then uh Alicia has become a lawyer and her brother half brother Daniel has become a very esteemed engineer from one of the top schools uh, that that train engineers in Peru. So these three folks show up and they're they're gathering around and they're talking to Angela and if you've ever been around folks that you know well there is this moment where you really realize i really need to give them the gospel but you just feel like i don't know how to start how many know what i'm talking about that's where we were with the three of them and i'm thinking i'm in church i'm a preacher they know i'm a preacher this is a prime opportunity to give these folks the gospel and the cat had my tongue and so if it's hard for me in that scenario i understand why it's even harder for you at a family reunion or at a a a class reunion type thing but nonetheless it's the right thing to do and i'm so thankful for my wife because she looked at me and she said to me in spanish um uh, they're okay with us going up to a sunday school room and 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 doing a bible study with them so she invited them to go upstairs and do a bible study and so we found a sunday school room that was not being used upstairs in brother raider's church building and uh, we sat down with them and I said, Angela, they may have questions that I don't either don't know how to answer in Spanish or maybe doctrinally you just know better than me. So, hey, shoot, uh, go for it. <laughs> but um, we sat down with them and we went through the gospel very slowly, very methodically, very carefully. And her engineer half brother takes out a notebook out of his back pocket And begins to take copious notes. I mean, he's taking notes on everything, like a good engineer would do. And the lawyer sits back in the chair and puts her fingers up on her chin. And she is she is listening to me as though I'm presenting a a case in court. And the dentist comes in late. I believe the dentist got there late. And uh, she comes in, Ursula comes in, and sits down. And so we had to sort of backtrack and start over. And I got all the way down to the end of presenting the gospel. And I said, now, before I invite you to accept Christ as your Savior and to put your faith in Him and Him alone, do you have any questions? And the lawyer asked me several questions, uh, Alicia, and then she said this. She said, here's what I don't understand. She said, if we're all born the children of God, then why? And I stopped her. And I said, Alicia, your question is wrong." And she said, well, how is my question wrong? I said, you stated that we're all born the children of God. And the truth is, none of us are born the children of God. And she stopped and she said, really? She said, I've gone to a Catholic church my whole life. And they tell us we're the children of God. And I've said, well, let me show you what it takes to become a child of God. And so we went through John 1.12 and showed how that you have to believe. We'll get into that more in a minute. Uh, turn over with me, if you would. Hold your place in Romans. Turn over with me to 1 John chapter number 1. And uh, one, of the, uh, one, one of the identifiers of a, a child of God versus a child of the devil or a child of the world is the way that they behave. And so um, a lot of people have found 1 John to be a difficult book to read. Uh, they have been confused by it uh, or have tried to draw, uh, rather, First John chapter uh, 2. I got, uh, got that wrong. First John chapter 2 and verse number 7. You know what? I mean, I... Look at chapter 3. It's chapter 3, verse number 7. I wrote this down after I had finished my message, jotted in at the top here. Look at for chapter 3, verse 7. It says this. And again, this is written to Christians. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works or the sin of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God." "...in this the children of God are manifest, and the the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth, not his brother." And so it's saying here that he that committeth sin is of the devil. Now, let me first say what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that after you get saved, if you sin, then you lose your salvation. That's not what this is saying here. What it's saying is that in the eternal account in heaven with God, your sins are either blotted out or they're not blotted out. And with God's uh, uh, eternal record, if you are of the devil, you will continue to have those sins on your record in heaven. You will be known as one that has Committed sin or commit sin. If you are a son of God, then those are removed from your record. Now, how many of you understand this concept quite clearly that we are all born with a strong sin nature? We're not born righteous and then corrupted by the world. We come into the world with a desire and a slant and a bend towards sin. Quickly, turn over to John chapter 3 and verse number 17. And we'll see this condemnation that we're under. John chapter 3, everyone knows verse 16. Uh, it talks about how that God uh, uh, sent His only, only begotten Son into the world. Uh, and ver- look at verse 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, "...but that the world through him might be saved..." He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world and men loved darkness. That's their natural state. Men loved darkness, the condemnation rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. So, men are born as children of darkness, children of uh, of the world, children of the devil. And here's a hard reality that none of us like to say or hear said, but is is a truth, is that before you put your faith and trust in Christ, you were a child of the devil, just like me. Now, we don't like to hear it put that way, but that is the truth. Uh, Adam and Eve fell in sin, and uh, we are born under this condemnation, and we're children of the devil. And so in the world today, when it comes to this idea of father and children, there are two groups of people in the world. There are those that are children of the devil, children of the world, and there are those that are children of God. Now, I jotted down some uh, some, some characteristics, if you will, of children. And the first one I jotted down is that children are owned by their parents. They're owned by their parents. Uh, the parents tell the children what to do, where to go, when to go, uh, how to go, what time to go to bed, what time to get up, what to wear, how to dress, how to behave. Uh, and so children are owned by their parents, at least to a particular age. And so all of those walking the planet today that are a child of the devil, don't be shocked when they behave as though they're getting their marching orders from the devil. Uh, furthermore, children uh, 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 children seek to please their parents. Children seek to please their parents. Um, I, I'll hear Christians stand around sometimes and be down in the mouth or upset about how awful and how sinful the world is. Well, why is that a shock to any of us? They're children of the devil. They're, they're seeking to please the devil. Now, not everybody walking around planet Earth is seeking to be the worst version of themselves. But have you ever, uh, uh, have you ever thought to yourself, "Boy, there sure, sure seems to be some evil principalities at work that are really trying to drag our culture down into the moral gutter"? You ever felt that way? That's because there are folks who are full blown seeking to please their father, the devil. Uh, Another attribute or uh, characteristic of children is that children rely on their parents for care. Children rely on their parents for care. Now, I want to contrast, turn over to Luke chapter 11. I want to contrast the way Satan takes care of his children versus the way our father, our Abba father, takes care of his children. Satan's children are morally malnourished. Satan's children are morally malnourished, uh, uh, and they revel and brag about how immoral that they are. I've talked about when I was a young man, I was engaged, and I was out playing ball in the street court, and um, uh, it came out that uh, uh, somehow it came out that I was a virgin uh, uh, out on the basketball court, and boy, I was ridiculed and mocked and made fun of. Ha ha ha! Boy, are you? Are, are do you like guys? You're how old? Uh, right being called wrong, wrong being called right, and uh, now we're being told that men should be able to marry men and women should be able to marry women and somebody gets to choose their gender, it's not chosen for them, and all of this, uh, all of this, this, this Satanistic immoral agenda being ramrodded down our throat. Why? Because they're morally malnourished, their father's not taking care of them, and they're bragging about it. Now, on one hand, they brag about their sin. But on the other hand, when sin has wrecked and ravished their lives and they're broken, they don't know where to go and what to do. Why? Because they're morally malnourished. Why? Because they're children of the devil. Another thing I wrote down here about Satan uh, being a caretaker of his children is that Satan's children are abused. They are abused. Have you noticed how much abuse there is in the world? And I'm not talking just about um, uh, the immoral type of abuse, that of a sexual nature. I'm also talking about verbal abuse. Boy, it, I can't tell you how many times I've stood in a store or in a restaurant and just seen a parent just berate their child uh, verbally. Emotional abuse and neglect. Well, where is that coming from? Is that coming from folks who are walking in the light of the Scripture? no that's coming from folks whose whose father is the devil luke chapter 11 in verse number 5 9 we find the contrast to that and if you are a child of god boy, we get this uh, comparison between us being evil and our God our Father being a wonderful parent. Look at verse 9. It says, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be open unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be open. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish... Uh, Will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask uh, an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then being evil, and again, not that you dads in here are necessarily evil, but in contrast to how, how righteous God the Father is, all of us, in contrast, are evil. If ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? the father the holy Spirit, the, the Father, our Father, gives to those uh, who are born anew the Holy Spirit of God, so that they are morally nourished and they are morally protected and not abused and so tonight I want to uh, I, I would like to say that to be a child of God is a special privilege that we should not take lightly to be called. A child of God is a big deal, and it should be treated as such. With that comes a lot of responsibility. Let's look at three main thoughts this evening as we consider our identity in Christ and talk about our privilege and responsibility as children of God. Number one tonight, number one, our adoption. Our adoption. Let's jump right into letter A and notice the prerequisites For adoption. Now when I was uh, speaking with Alicia and Ursula and Daniel about the gospel. Once I explained to them when I'm about to go over here in church tonight. Boy it was a light bulb clicking on for all of them. You could just see it in their eyes. And right after that they were ready to bow their head. I said do you have any more questions? They said no other than when can we ask Christ to be our Savior. And all three of them bowed their head and put their faith and trust in Christ. It was neat seeing a dentist a lawyer, and an engineer, all making really good money, bow their head, and without any hesitation, put their faith in Jesus. But what are the prerequisites for God to adopt you into His family? Turn over to Matthew Chapter number 18 and verse number 2. Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 2. Jesus is speaking to a crowd and he takes a little child and he sets them in the midst. I'll begin reading in verse 2. It says, and Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child the same is great in the kingdom of heaven what he's saying here is that for you to enter into my kingdom you must be adopted into my family and for you to be adopted into my family you must become like a child you must have the humility and the faith of a child in order to be adopted. The prerequisites for adoption. Turn over to John chapter number 1 and verse number 12. John chapter 1 and verse number 12. I'll begin reading as soon as I arrive. We're going to look at a lot of verses here. It says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on His name. Now, I want to take just a minute here, and I want to address this idea of only the elect making it into heaven. Look at verse 12. Does it say, but as many as are received by Him? But as many as receive Him. There is a conscious choice by each individual to receive Christ. But as many as receive Him, to them gave He power, to be adopted. To become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on His name. What is the prerequisite for being adopted into the family of God? You must believe in Jesus. That He is the Son of God. That He died on the cross for your sins. That He was buried. That He rose again the third day. And that He is the power over death, hell, and the grave. And that if you will call on Him, He will save your soul. It's not about you. It's not about your works. It's not about about any denominational title or church that you're attached to. You don't even have to go to church to go to heaven. You just simply must believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior and call on Him to save you. It is a changing of your mind from a false set of belief to belief in Jesus. That is the prerequisite to be saved. Turn over with me to John chapter three, just a couple of pages over. John chapter three and verse number three. Now this passage is important because we're going to tie back into this passage later in the message. John chapter three, verse three, Jesus answered and said unto him, Nicodemus, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Look at there. Be born again. That's the idea of family, of child. Verse 4, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water, that's a water birth, that's being born of the sack of sack water of your mother, and of the Spirit, that's that new birth in Christ, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. How are you adopted into the family of God? Well, you are born anew into the family of Christ. There is a choice to believe, and when you accept Christ, you receive Him. He receives you, and you're born again in Christ. One other passage. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse number 17. Someone would argue, well, that was written to the Jews. What about the Gentiles? That was written to a Jewish leader. What about the Gentiles? Well, 2 Corinthians was written to a Gentile church. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if any man or any human be in Christ, he is a new creature. That's that idea of being born again. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You must be in Christ. You must put your faith in Christ. Someone asked me once, what does it mean to be in Christ? And I said, just as Noah was in the ark, just as Rahab was in that home as the walls of Jericho fell and she was saved, you must be in Christ. You must put your faith in Christ in order to be saved, in order to be adopted, in order to be a child of God now to all of you here tonight that have done that I would say this to you rejoice that God was willing to look down at sinful old slimy you and say you are a reject child on the street of the world and I am willing to take you in and clean you up even though you're unlovable and not only uh, not only save you from hell but make you my own that's a big deal Don't ever let the joy of you being a child of God, leaving the orphanage of the world and become a child of the king. Don't ever let that grow old to those of you here tonight that have not done that yet. I just have to ask you this question. What are you waiting for? God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. Yes, for the world, but for you. 1 Peter 3 says that God is not willing that any, that's you, any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Galatians uh, 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus Christ died for you. And He's waiting for you to leave your pride and stubbornness and unbelief behind and turn to Him in humility and accept His Son, accept the only begotten Son of Jesus as your only way to heaven. And when you do that, you are born anew. You are made a new creature. You are adopted into the family of God. The prerequisites for adoption. Letter B, notice the permanence of the adoption the permanence of the adoption now John chapter 6 verse 35 quickly turn over there for uh, with me uh, I was going back and forth with the church member uh, a few weeks ago, and this church member had a coworker who was challenging them on eternal security and saying, no, you know, if you sin after you get saved, you lose your salvation and, and, and you've got to, uh, you need to call again on uh, the name of the Lord and be saved anew. And I was providing this church member with a lot of information, a, a past sermon I preached, some sermon notes, some other Bible verses. And then I was going over our did you know tracks. And John 6.37 was at the bottom of that track. And I said, what else do you need? Look at John 6.35. We'll read down to verse 37. And Jesus saying to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I say unto you that ye also have seen me and believed not. Verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me... I will in no wise cast out. Now to someone who believes you can lose your salvation, explain away John six thirty seven. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Once you're in, you're in. You're in. It can't be lost. Someone said, Well, you know, if you if you uh you put your faith and trust in Jesus to be saved, but you know, if you go and, and you mess up with a little child Or you you murder somebody. Or you commit some sin that's just egregious and horrible. Surely God's not going to continue your salvation. And I would say, are you limiting the love and forgiveness of God? Are you limiting what He's capable of doing? Did He not know that you were going to do those things the day you got saved? Did He not uh, think ahead to say, I'm going to forgive them even of those sins that I know that they'll commit in their future? What kind... Of father would God be if every time you cross the line He chucked you out of His family and made you come back and ask to be in it again? Now um, I'll use an extreme example in here. Here, okay? Let's say Matthew turns eighteen and in his teen years he just rebels and becomes a terrible young man. And he turns eighteen and he goes and robs a bank. He murders someone in the process. He he has changed his name ahead of time because he just is disowning me. And then he hops on a plane and he flies to Africa and he never sees me again. That would be like worst case parental scenario, correct? Can anybody think of anything worse than that? That'd be pretty bad, right? Okay. Is Matthew still my son if he does that? Fellowship with Matthew would be broken. But sonship can never be broken. It's permanent. He will always be my son. Once God has adopted you into his family, yes, fellowship over your sin can be broken. But sonship with God can never be broken. You're a child of the king and there's nothing you can do to reverse that. Not that you would want to. Letter C, notice God's passion for his adopted. God's passion for his adopted. Really quick here, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. I hope tonight that um, uh, this sermon slash Bible study affirms you as a child of God and will challenge you to live accordingly. Look at verse number 18. It says, "...and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty." Can you hear the affection here? Back up to verse 17. "...wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters." saith the Lord Almighty. Listen, I I think back to uh, uh, the day my children were born. I think at many precious moments in their lives, maybe a first step or a first word or the first time that they obey on their own uh, uh, or, or they take initiative and do things around the home or they go out of their way to show extra love. My direction and boy, as a father, I glow and gleam and I have a passion for my children, but I don't just love them when they do what's right. I love them also when they don't do what's right. Quickly turn over to Galatians chapter four. Now, I would encourage you later on your own to go back and study Galatians 4 at length. The whole chapter. We're not going to have time to do that tonight. But this chapter is a great chapter speaking of our relationship with God as his children. Look with me at verse number five and six. To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons or of children. And because ye are sons... God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. He loves you so much that He put the Spirit of God inside of you, and that Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. That word Abba, those of you who are regular churchgoers, you already know this, but that means Daddy. That's a very affectionate, personal term. Why would the Spirit of God cry out to God the Father, Abba or Daddy? Because the God the Father has a love and passion for us and He desires that we have that love and passion for Him. Number one, our adoption. Number two, notice, our attributes. Our attributes. Okay, so I'm a child of God. No matter how I behave, I'm a child of God. But surely everyone here wants to be a good child. And not a rebellious child. Is that a fair assumption? You're here tonight, I'm assuming that you want to be a child of God that that pleases your father. Pleases your father. How many of you here can think of a time where you did something as a child. You did something that just really, really pleased your mom or your dad. Can you think of that moment? Uh, maybe don't raise your hand. But can you think of that moment where, boy, they were just overwhelmed by what you did to show them love. i got to tell you, I love those moments when my children do something or say something. Just this week, I don't want to embarrass this child, so I won't say what it was. But just this week, one of my children uh, uh, did something spiritually that just blew me away. I wasn't there to see it. My wife told me about it, and as I sat on my bed with her telling me, tears began to run down my cheeks, because I saw in this child a development, a love not only for me, but a love for this child's heavenly Father. And it was just very evident and obvious. I know that that's what I want. I don't always live it, but that's what I want. What is it as a child of the King, your identity in Christ, what is it that He expects out of you? What attributes does He want to see in your life? Notice letter A, children who are led. Go back over to Romans chapter 8 where we began this evening. Romans chapter number 8. And look with me at verse number 10. Now, um, don't just let your eyes run over the words. Really try to soak in what Romans 8, 10 uh, down is saying. Try to understand it and comprehend it. Because Romans 8, listen, Romans 8 is one of the theologically deepest passages In the Bible. In fact, it has been stated to be the theologian's favorite chapter of the Bible. Look at verse 10 and and, and really try to take in... Let's back up to verse 9. It says there, But ye, speaking of those who are born anew in Christ, those that are adopted into the family of God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Alright, let me just ask this question tonight. How many of you have put your faith and trust in Jesus in the Spirit of God, dwells in you. Would you hold up your hand? Don't be ashamed. Hold it up. Okay, so then there are some attributes that are to be distinct about you that are not distinct of someone who lacks a spirit or is a child of the world. Uh, uh, Verse number 9 again. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. He is not owned. There is no ownership uh, coming from God. Verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify or kill off the deeds of the flesh, ye shall live. Verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. This is saying here that if you are a child of God, an attribute of a child of God is that He is putting down the desires of the flesh and He's turning to the Spirit of God that dwells in him and he's following the Holy Spirit's lead. Now we've talked about this a lot over the last year and so I won't dwell long on this point here but can I ask you this question, Christian? Are you following daily the leading of the Holy Spirit? I want everybody in here to take just a moment and and really kick back into your mind and ask yourself this question. When was the last time that the Holy Spirit led me to do something and I did it? Take a minute and think about that. When was the last time the Holy Spirit moved in your heart and said, I want you to do this or I want you to stop doing that? And you said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I remember dad would walk in the room when I was a boy and he didn't like something I was doing or the way I was handling something. And his male presence would fill up the room. And he'd look at me and say, Richard, change your attitude right now. And the back of my legs would tighten up. And I'd stand in at attention I'd say, yes, sir. You know what I'm saying? I will be subservient to what you're asking me to do. Now, the Holy Spirit isn't going to come and knock you over the head. So it's on you to decide to follow His lead. Follow His lead. As He brings things to your attention in your life, are you submitting and following? Children who are children of God, who are holding to the attributes of what God wants, are children who are led. Letter B, notice, children who are light. Over and over and over again in the New Testament, when Christians are described as the children of God, they are described as light. Turn over with me to Philippians chapter number 2. Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 15. For sake of time, I'm going to start reading. It says there that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Let's keep reading. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. Ephesians, this should just be one page or two pages over to the left from where you were. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8 says, For we were sometimes darkness... But now are ye light in the Lord. Hey, walk as children of light. Do you know that you can be a child of God and still walk in darkness? You can be a child of God and go on and, and live the same lifestyle you lived when you were a child of the devil. Boy, I've seen many folks do it. There have been seasons in my life where I've done it. But you're a children of light, walk as the children of light. Don't just let it be a title that hangs over your head. Let it be something that you actively practice. What can we say about light that's different than darkness? It's, it's, it, it stands out. It, it is obvious. When uh, uh, someone with a flashlight walks into a dark room, they call all the attention to them. And they're not afraid to have the attention on them. Someone with a light in a dark space is not afraid to, to, to draw eyeballs. They, they, they walk about with a spirit of boldness. Now, how are we light in a dark world? We're light by the way we speak to each other. The way we speak to others. There was a time when I worked on the truck dock uh, as a college student where I had just become a strong complainer. I had a nasty attitude about me. And I remember I was riding on my forklift. It was probably about eleven o'clock at night. Uh, it was a cold winter night, and the wind was just hurling across the truck dock there in Chicago. And I had just I had just told somebody how I felt about. A situation. And I was it was not my best moment. And I could feel the Spirit of God saying to me, you know all these secular people that work here that don't go to your college and don't go to church. You know they know you're a Christian, right? What do you think you're doing to the cause by behaving that way, by talking that way? Now, it is easy for us to get in the flesh. But we're not debtors to the flesh. What's the flesh ever done for you? What's the flesh ever done to you other than get you in trouble? Boy, the Spirit has renewed you. And if you follow that Spirit, He will give you light that you can shine. I love what Matthew 5 says. You don't take a candle and put it under a bushel. No, you put that up high so others can see it. Is it said of you that you walk as a child of light? Um, You can read 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 later. Uh, Let's look at letter C. Children who love. Children who love. Turn back over to first John chapter three, where we were in our introduction this uh this evening. First John chapter three and verse number one. It says, There behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. It's easy for me to stand up here and say, Hey, you need to live right, but why? What's that driving force? Is the driving force that if I don't live right, God's going to bonk me over the head? Well, whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth, even as a Father the Son in whom He delighteth. But why does God chasten us, correct us? Because He loves us. You know, God loves you so much. His intent toward you, is, His love is so intense toward you. That that love ought to push you to want to please your Heavenly Father. When I was a boy, we were uh, too poor for my dad's job to pay all the bills. So, he got a side hustle um, cutting lawns for church members and neighbors of church members. And I think at one point he even contracted an apartment building and did all their uh, lawn mowing and weed eating and, and edging and things. And so... Usually after school for several years, I would go home and change, and I would um, I would head out to help my dad cut grass. When I got about fifth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, he he got a, a second lawnmower. He had a riding John Deere. He got a second lawnmower, and he had me push that lawnmower and help him cut the grass. And I can remember uh, wanting to cut that lawn so perfect, knowing that my father was going to come along and inspect. And I wanted nothing more to hear my dad say, "Boy, you worked hard today. You sure did do a good job." You know why I wanted my dad's affirmation? Because I knew he loved me. I knew he loved me. The knee-high soda and honey bun on the way home didn't hurt either. But I knew he loved me. And I knew that I wanted to please him. Do you understand how profound and deep God's love is toward you? He wants you to behave. Not because you're afraid he's going to beat you down if you don't. He wants you to behave because because you're responding to that love that he Has for you. Now, as we get His love, we're to turn around and give it to others. This morning in my Sunday school class, we looked at 1 Thessalonians 5.15 that says, Render not evil for evil unto any man, but uh, rather that which is good in the sight of the Lord. And the idea there is when people are evil toward you, you give them good back. You repay evil with good. You love your enemies. You're, You're kind to them. And you know what? Anybody, anybody can love someone who's nice to them. Someone's treating you just right. Boy, it's it's nice to be friends with someone who's friendly. Can you be friends with someone who's not nice to you? Can you love them when they're not acting very lovable? That is an attribute of being a Christian. Why? Because he loved us when we weren't lovable. Lastly, number three, notice our anticipation. Our anticipation. We looked at our adoption, our attributes, our anticipation. Now, let me just say that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Um, I, think of, um, I think of a, a scenario where a, a dad has a son or maybe a few kids and they're really little. So little they don't really remember dad. And dad goes off to war and he's killed in war. And maybe mom gets a big picture of dad and hangs that up over the fireplace. And that picture is Huge. And as that mother is raising those three children on her own, she talks a lot about her husband, their father, and and talks about how great of a man he was and what he would expect out of those children. And those poor children grow up with a father figure on the wall that they see the image of up on the wall, but not a father that's actively involved in their life. And Dad's great attributes are talked about to them, but they don't get to see them acted out in front of them. Now, that's sort of how we are. We get to hear about our Father all throughout the Scripture. But we haven't seen Him yet. One day, though, we're going to get to go to heaven. And we're going to get to look at our Abba Father in the eyes. And the best... Is yet to come. There ought to be a spirit of anticipation. That yes, our identity in Christ is that we're children. But one day we're going to stand and behold our Father's face. What a great day that's going to be. Quickly, letter A, notice, our future inheritance. Our future inheritance. Go back over to Romans chapter number 8. Romans chapter 8. We're winding things down here this evening. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 17. It says, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. Join heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with Him. That we may be also glorified together. Heirs. Heirs. That idea of being an heir is that you have an inheritance that's coming. Titus chapter 3, verse number 7. You can turn over there if you like. If not, I'll read it to you. Titus chapter 3, verse 7 says this. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life, you say. Well, what do I get to inherit as a child of God? You get to inherit a perfect body that has no sin desire, that has no sickness or pain, and you get to live in eternal bliss with God in His presence forever. Can you think of anything better than that? Well, uh, you, you'll see children who will fight with, squabble with each other over mom and dad's money that's left behind their inheritance. There's so much money that God has. That there will be millions of us that will share it, and none of us will squabble over it. Our future inheritance. We're going to enter into a kingdom of rest that is perfect, and we're going to live in perfect harmony with God. Oh, what a great day that's going to be. Letter B, notice, our future image. Our future image. You go back and look at Romans. We're not going to do it this evening, but you go back and look at Romans chapter 6. In chapters 6 and 7, what you find is Paul is really disgruntled that he wants to do good, he ends up doing evil. And he he says, the good I would do, I end up not doing. And the evil that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And it is frustrating. Frustrating. Because I want so bad to get this thing right. And I, I struggle to get it right. I think we all can relate with Paul there. The, the good I would do, that I do not. The, the evil I would not do, that I end up doing, or that I do. And and one day, that's going to be taken away from us, and we are going to be stamped into the image and likeness of our Father. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate, To be conformed to the image of His Son, speaking of Jesus, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. We're going to be made perfectly into the image of Jesus Christ. Turn over to chapter 9 and look with me at verse number 26. Chapter 9, verse 26. And it shall come to pass that in the place... Where it was said unto him, ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. One more. Turn over to 1 John chapter 3 verse 2. That will be the last passage we turn to this evening. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 2. It says there, Beloved, Now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. It's hard to see right now what it is that we're going to be. It's not real clear. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. Glory, hallelujah. Praise to the Lamb. There's going to be a day where I shed this robe of flesh as a child of God and I am stamped perfectly into the image of my joint heir, my brother, Jesus Christ. I'm going to be made just like him. You say, well, pastor, that day is going to come whether I live like the devil or I live like Jesus. And so why not just go out and hoop it up and have fun? And I would say, oh boy, if that's your attitude, oh my, do not take advantage of God's grace. Start walking in the light now. Those attributes we looked at. Children that are led. Are you led by God? Are you led by His Spirit? Did you sit there and go, I can't think of a time where the Spirit of God led me and I followed. Or, you know, I can remember, but it it needs to be more regular. Children that are light. Does your light shine in the dark world? Are you living your life in such a way where your holiness radiates to a sinful world around you. And some people are turned off by that light. And blinded by that light. But others are drawn to it. And want to become like the, the the image of Christ that you're becoming. Children who love. Are you someone who loves and lives your Christian life out of a spirit of love? Or are you just doing it because you feel obligated? Are you just doing it because uh, you 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 feel that God commands it and you're afraid of His punishment? Do you love others even when they don't love you? Or is there resentment and bitterness and anger and vengeance toward those who have mistreated you? Let's be children that look like and act like and walk like and talk like our Father. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this evening, if you are here and you've not yet become a child of God, let me just remind you that you're not automatically born a child of God. You must make a conscious choice like Nicodemus in John 3. To be born anew. To be born again. Is there one here this evening that would say, Pastor, I've not put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save me. And I'd like to get that taken care of tonight. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand where you are? Is there one that says, Pastor, I've not yet done that. I don't see any hands. I sure hope that means that all of us in here then are children of God. Christian, can I ask you a question? Are you walking like a child of God? Are those attributes of one of his children, do those embody you? Or are you walking according to the flesh like you owe the flesh something? Are you blending in with the darkness because you're afraid to let your light shine? Are you really loving others and living your Christian life out of love the way that he's called you to? Does the love of Christ constrain you or force you to live live like a child of God? Some of you here are weary and well doing. Let us hold fast to our anticipation of the inheritance to come, the image that we will look like. How many here tonight and say, Pastor, there is something in my life where God has dealt with me, and I know there are improvements and changes that I need to make to be more like a child of God? If that's you, you just hold up your hand. There is some area in my heart God's dealing with me. Pastor, please pray for me. Lord, I pray that you would help those with an uplifted hand to make a conscious, solid decision that leads to a sincere change. And then, Lord, children that live a life that seek to please you. May you look down from heaven and smile when you see and hear of our works that we do, much like I did with one of my children this week. Lord, may we make you proud To call yourself our Father with the way that we live. Work in our hearts and move and help us to be sincere in our decision making tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.